You're listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both blessed and challenged by this teaching. I've been studying uh, Colossians 3. I've been stuck there for a number of months, and uh, just everything I do, every conversation I have seems to point me right back to Colossians 3. And so I was reading some commentators uh, and and some commentaries about Colossians 3, and I I turned to one of my favorite, who is John Corson. He he wrote uh, a commentary that I really, really like, and he tells a story in this commentary about Cary Grant. Many of you will will remember Cary Grant. Maybe I'm dating myself too much. But shortly before his death, uh, Cary Grant was interviewed on television uh, on a biography program. And and it it caught uh, John Corson's attention when a reporter asked him if he had always been a suave, sophisticated person. And Cary Grant chuckled and then shared a bit of his story. He said that he uh, was, was born in, his name was Archibald Leach, and he was born in 1904 in a rough section of Bristol, England. And, and, and my husband is from England, so that immediately caught my, my eye. But he was a ruffian with a Cockney accent, and he was anything but suave and sophisticated. But in his late teenage years, Thinking acting might be the way to make an easy buck, he went to the local theater and he started to pick up uh, some small parts in in some uh, shows. And he acted out these parts and he conjured up the kind of person that he wished he was, a person of culture and sophistication, a romantic figure, a ladies' man. And so convincingly did he portray this image that 70 years, 70 films later, he became known to America as Mr. Sophistication. That's why when, when the um, interviewer asked if, if he had always been suave and sophisticated, Cary Grant chuckled and burst out laughing because at the end of the interview, he said, I played the part so frequently that it became me ultimately. I put on the character so often that it became who I am. He played the part so frequently, and he put on the character so often that it became who he was. And when I read that illustration, I I thought about you and I and and how the Bible tells us to put on Christ. And and for Grant, it was that he just put it on often enough that it became him eventually. And and for him, it was play acting. But for you and I, we are not playing a part. We are told to put on Christ and do it so often that it will become who we are. But again, it's not play acting. It's simply becoming who we were created to be. And tonight, I want to talk to you a bit about putting on Christ. I want to talk to you about becoming the one in whose image you and I were created to be. But would you just pray with me first? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, you know that I have so much that I want to say, and and it's not organized in my paper, but I thank you that it's in my mind, and I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would just organize it now. 
I pray, Father, that when I open my mouth, that words would be given to me, and I would declare them, Lord, as fearlessly as I ought. Lord, I'm not interested in a message of human wisdom. I, I, I don't want it to be words of, uh, of, of human wisdom. I don't want it to be a well-put-together sermon. I just want it to be a demonstration of your Holy Spirit's power. And so, Father, I'm at your mercy, and I pray, Lord God, that you would bring to mind things that I need to remember, and, and Lord, that I would say only what you tell me to say, and open my ears to hear your voice leading and guiding and directing, and open each person's heart here tonight to receive your word as truth. Let it impact them greatly, Lord God. Now, Father, I pray for wisdom and for direction and guidance through the power of your Holy Spirit. Most of all, Lord, I ask that you'd be glorified in this place. Bring revelation, bring understanding. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of the Bible, chapter 1. You say, well, Rhea, what does this have to do with Psalm 91? I, I will tell you that this time that I am preaching, I, I taught through this series 14 weeks uh, several years ago, and I went verse by verse by verse, and I just do not feel released to do that this time, and I'm going to listen to the Lord and do what he tells me to do. So it's looking a little different, but I promise you it's coming back to Psalm 91. It really is summarizing that Psalm 91 for us. And, uh, but anyway, I want to talk to you uh, not just about Genesis 1. But I want to talk to you about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and you know that, that those books are known as the Gospels. And the word gospel means good news. You've heard people say, did you share the gospel with them? Or what they're saying is, did you share the good news with them? And what exactly is the good news? The good news is that God did something, and as a result, our lives can be affected for good. And T. Wright says, the gospel is the good news about how God did a thing that he's always promised to do. It is a public announcement about something that has happened as the result of which the whole world is a different place. And you and I are invited to discover that for ourselves and to live within the new world which has thereby been created. And that's the good news. Something has happened by which the God who made the world has now fundamentally rescued the world from corruption and decay and everything else. And he's invited all human beings everywhere to look at Jesus, the central character in this story, and to find in him, through him, the way in which that new world has come to pass and that we can be part of it and enjoy the benefits of it. For many of us, we think the good news is that we deserve hell and that we get heaven. And that is indeed good news, but that is not what it's all about. And, and for many of us, we live knowing that we are fallen beings, we're sinful beings, we need a savior, we've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, and we can look forward to an eternity in heaven someday. But it's so much bigger than that. That's only half of the gospel in my opinion. And I want to talk to you tonight about what that good news really looks like. It, so many of us start in Genesis 3. That's where, where, you know, Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God and they fell. And, and you know that sin, because of one man's sin, you and I are all now, we come into this world sinners, do we not? Because of one man's sin, but also because of what one man, Jesus Christ, did on the cross of Calvary, we can be redeemed. 
Do you understand that? And yet so many of us think that the gospel story, the good news, starts in Genesis chapter 3 with that fall. But can I tell you that it really starts in Genesis chapter 1. In chapter 1, uh, you, I think it's verse 26, if you want to turn there, God says, now this is after God has created the world, and can I just tell you that God created the world. It didn't just happen. God spoke. That's why God's word is so powerful. That's why we need to get in his word. That's why we need to memorize his word, because if he speaks and something happens, what happens when we begin to speak his word? Things will happen, will it not? And so I love Genesis chapter 1 where the word says, and God said, and then it was. Over and over we see that where God spoke, but, but then he says, let's create man, verse 26, in our image. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I, I just want you to know that you and I were created in the image of God. We are image bearers. We were designed to image God, to display his likeness to a lost and dying world, to display his likeness to one another. In Washington, D.C., uh, there is an image of Abraham Lincoln, and that image is to remind us and to bring to mind and help us reflect on the greatness of Abraham Lincoln. And the same is true of you and of me. God designed us to be image bearers. We are to reflect the greatness of God. When people look at us, it should remind them of God's character. When people see us, it should bring to mind the image of God. Is that happening? We are to be image bearers, and at every glance of you and me, we should show others what God is like. We should display his greatness in our lives. That's what it's all about. Genesis 1, uh, verse 26 and 27, I want you to see there are two words there, in our image and in our likeness. Those are two different words. Sometimes the translations will make them one, but really it's two different words. Wayne Grudem says the Hebrew words that are used there really refer to something different. They're similar, but they refer to something different. He says really what it would have meant to the original readers would be let us make man to be like us and to represent us. Do you know that we are called to represent God? Leslie and I wore our t-shirts tonight, represent. Sweet Tina had these made for us, and, and I love it. I wear it with pride because I'm telling you that is what we were called to do, to represent God to a lost and dying world. Everywhere we go, we need to understand that we are created in his image to represent him. And when we, when we walk, the Bible says we are slaves to whatever we obey. And so when we obey sin and we, we follow sin, that's who we become a slave to. But when we obey God, it leads to righteousness. We become a slave to righteousness. I, I love it. 
And so you know what happened. Adam and Eve were created in God's image. Can I get four people uh, to volunteer? I think I asked Danny to come up here. So I need three other people besides Danny because I'm just going to, if you will just bear with me tonight. I I really am a preacher at heart and I want to preach, but, but I really feel tonight I am just supposed to talk to you. I'm just supposed to tell you where I'm at and what I'm studying because it's been so profound to me. As I've been studying Colossians 3, I need one more person. As I've been studying, sweet girl, how are you? Thank you for your letter. You just blessed my heart. As I've been studying Colossians 3, I will tell you that every conversation I've had with people have come back, has come back to Colossians 3 in one way or another. And what I'm going to show you tonight was the result of a conversation I had with a friend of mine. She, she came into my office this week and she said, Rhea, have you ever heard Dan Green's illustration of the four-part gospel? I said, no, I have not. And she sat down and she began to tell me about this four-part gospel. And, and as I, I went back then to my house and I began to study. And what I realized is it wasn't Dan Green's. It was just about everybody else. Everybody is talking about it. And, and somehow I missed it. And, and so I can't even tell you who is responsible for this, but it's good stuff. And so I want to share it with you tonight because somehow I, I'm a, a visual learner and somehow This just helps me, and I hope that it helps you. And it's all based on Genesis 1, where God created man and and woman, and we were created in his image. We were created to be image bearers. Everywhere we went, we go, we are supposed to represent God. But you know what happened? God said, you know, the, the... Adam and Eve were created to walk with him, to fellowship with him, to have intimacy with him. Oh, don't you just want that? They, they walked with him in the cool of the day. They were friends. They were tight. They were intimate with God. And that's why we were created. That's the way it ought to be. Do you know that? But then what happened? God said, you can eat of any tree in this garden you want, but there's just one tree. You can have all of this. Everything is yours. There's just one thing you can't have. Don't eat of this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, you know Adam and Eve. They, God goes away and they get by themselves and they go trucking for the tree because the serpent, the enemy of our soul, and we have an enemy of our soul, and he, does to, he did to Adam and Eve what he continues to do to you and to me every day of our life. He tries to, to distort the image of God in us. He tries to convince us that God doesn't really mean what he says. But here's the most important thing that he he tries to do. He tries to convince us that God's word isn't true. That it really isn't what's best for us. That we can really find a better way. That there is a better way. Can I just tell you, there is not a better way. But the enemy of our soul still tries to convince us that his word really isn't what's best for us. And as a result, we do what Adam and Eve did. We fall. And so that's where I want to pick up tonight. Can I have somebody sit in this chair right here? Each of you take a chair. And I told you I'm a visual learner, so I'm going to, I brought some signs along tonight. And you are going to be ought. This is what happened. Can you all see that? This is what happened. Your arms are going to get tired because I'm going to ask you to keep holding them. But, but this is ought. This is the way it ought to be. That's Genesis 1, 26 and 27. God created us in his image. He created us to be connected to him, to have intimacy with him, to know him and to be known by him. That's the way it ought to be. 
like it was in the garden, when there was nothing but peace, when there was nothing but love, when there wasn't disconnection, when there was just to be naked and not ashamed. Here I am, rock on with your bad self. There is nothing I'm ashamed of. I'm not carrying guilt. I'm not carrying shame. I'm not carrying condemnation. But then what happened? The Bible says that Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. But then they sinned, they disobeyed God because the enemy tried to convince them that God didn't mean what he said and that God's way really wasn't the best. Can I tell you, God's way is the best way. It's not about being legalistic. It's not about you have to do it God's way. It's about, can I just frankly tell you that God's way is the best way. If God said it, trust me, it's not because he's trying to cheat you out of something. It's because it really works. It's the best way. But Adam and Eve fall for the lie of the enemy, because we do, and, and, and so what happens? Anybody know what happens? They eat, of, they eat of the tree, and then what do they do? Before they hide, they decide, oh my goodness, I am naked, and I need to cover up. And so what do they do? They sew fig leaves together, and they cover themselves with the fig leaves. So what did I say last week about he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty? What did we talk about the word shadow meaning? Covering, protection, but ultimately I told you about the the Hebrew word when we looked at the pictograph of the Hebrew word, it means to come under authority. So in other words, my covering, my protection right here is what? obedience to God's word, that God means what he says, and I'm going to do it. And that keeps me under the shelter of the Most High. It keeps me abiding and protected. I will tell you, his word is protection. His word is safe. There is, there is safety in obeying his word. But Adam and Eve, they disobeyed him, so they came out from undercover. Are you with me? Psalm 91. They came out from undercover. They realized they were now naked, and they were ashamed of it, because I will tell you, sin will do that to you. It'll give you more shame than you could ever carry. It'll make you feel more guilty than you've ever been. And you will sit there condemned and exposed. And you will hide from God because you won't want him to know what you've done. But can I tell you, you can't hide from a God. It says in Psalm 139, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? If I go here, even there you are. You can't outrun him. He knows everything about you, and he loves you anyway, but yet we do what, we, what Adam and Eve did. We come out from undercover. We sin. We disobey God. We realize we're naked. We're full of shame, and we try to cover ourselves, and we cover ourselves with things like, I don't know, dr- if we get drunk as a skunk, maybe we don't feel the shame. If we, if we shoot up high enough, maybe we don't feel the shame. Maybe if we go shopping and we do some retail therapy, we won't feel the pain so much. Maybe if we just eat ourselves into oblivion, well, we'll feel a little more comfort. Maybe if we go sleep with every Tom, Dick, and Harry in town, we, we won't feel the pain. We cover, we cover, we cover. See, some of us cover with perfectionism. Some of us cover with religion. If I can just be good enough, if I can just obey enough, can I tell you, go ahead, rock on with your bad self but it is a stinky covering. It is fig leaves. It's how it ought to be. Unfortunately, because of sin, this is how it is. Now, we're not living as we ought to live. 
connected with God, in intimacy with God, being naked and not ashamed, being fully known and fully loved. We don't have the peace and the joy. We don't sense the love that we should be sensing. It's not the way it ought to be. It's the way it is now because of sin. The fall took place right here. And now we're living the way it is. Just how it is. I have broken relationships. It's just how it is. I'm addicted. It's just how it is. I'm angry and nasty. It's just how it is. I can't do anything about it. I'm full of unforgiveness and bitterness because that person hurt me. I got disconnected from him. And ah, it's just how it is. And then we're going to skip Masha and we're going to go over to Danny. And we live for this right here. This is how it will be. Anybody know what this is? Heaven. When I die, and this is restored down here. How it ought to be is really how it will be someday when I get to heaven and, and everything is restored and everything is renewed. There's a new heaven and a new earth and there's not going to be any sin and sickness isn't going to be there and I won't cry any tears and everything is going to be honky-dory, peachy keen. It's going to be that way. It will be. I promise you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's going to be that way. It will be. But here's what we do. This is how it is, and I'm stuck, and I'm nasty, and I'm unkind, and I'm ineffective, and I'm addicted, and I'm weary, and I'm heavy laden, and I'm just living, and I'm just existing, and I can't even wait till I get over here to where it will. I just have to hang on long enough. Because this is how it is. For many of us, that's our gospel. Man was created to be known, created for intimacy. The fall happened. Someday we're going to be redeemed. But there's another part. This is how it can be. Not how it ought to be. I don't want it to be how it is. And I don't want to wait till it will be. It can be. D do you understand? It can be. And, and this, is not, this is not about legalism. Hear me say this loud and clear. Because this is what somebody will cry. Oh, that's legalistic. Give me a break. How ignorant are you? You don't obey to get from is to will. See, some people think I have to obey. That's legalism, darling. Legalism says I have to do this so I get to heaven. Guess what? You have to believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Your heart being your mind, your will, your emotion. Because what you believe has to affect this here, right here, i got to tell you. That's what gets you there. You've been saved by grace and not by works so that no man can boast. By faith, through faith, belief, total trust. That gets you to heaven. But see, what I want to talk to you about tonight is not what gets you to heaven. Because we are leaving the elementary things. We understand what gets us to heaven, do we not? I want to talk about something that goes a little deeper because I want you to understand where you can live. Not, not because it has anything to do with works, because works can't get you to heaven. We're, we're not talking about heaven. Grace gets you to heaven. We're talking about how you can take your, I'm stuck with how it is, 
and I'm going to learn how it can be. Are you with me? One more thing I want to show you. Down here, can you handle one more? Down here under ought, man was created in the image of God. Here under is at the fall, that image. See how the sweet guy, I met this sweet, sweet guy who didn't know Jesus, but he did such a great little design for me. And he was, he was just struck by it. Do you see how he put it in the background? Because the image is still there. This is you and I. This is our life. And you know that the fall happened and the image got marred. Did it not? Got marred by sin. <laughs> got, got distorted by the enemy. Uh, the image of God in us, the image of Christ in us, has been marred <laughs> by sin. When we do things we should not do, when we behave in ways we should not behave, the image gets marred. But dear one, can I just tell you, it is not lost. It just got marred. It's still there. In each one of you and I, can I tell you, I don't care if you're a believer or an unbeliever, the image of God is in you. God created you. He knit you together in your mama's womb. You are not a mistake. I don't care if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior or not. You got the image of God in you because he created you. Whether you've chosen to put your faith in him or not doesn't matter. What matters is you need to understand that you were created, you were designed for a purpose and a plan. And the one who knit you together in your mama's womb put the very image of God in you. And then sin happened. Now you can put this one down. Sin happened. I'll take it, darling. Um, sin happened. It's not the way it ought to be. It's the way it is now. And what is this? This is the enemy's poison. It's the stuff he brings at you to mar the image of God. He is after the image of God in you. Do you know that? He does not want you looking like God. He doesn't want you acting like God. He doesn't want you representing God to this world. He wants you walking around like this, with poison oozing out of you, with unforgiveness oozing out of you, with bitterness oozing out of you, with jealousy oozing out of you. He, he wants you distorted with addiction. He wants you distorted with self-pity. He wants you distorted and ineffective. That's what he wants. No, he doesn't care if the image is still in the background. He just wants it so distorted. Anybody with me? It's not the way it ought to be. I guess I'm stuck living here. So I'll just go through my life spewing bitterness, spewing hatred, spewing gossip and malice and slander, spewing sexual immorality, spewing, 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 carrying around self-pity and destructive behaviors. I'll just exist till I get here, till I take my last breath and whew, it will be great. But God says it can be great here. That as we start here and we say, Lord, it's been distorted. The one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy has marred the image of God in me. And that when I cooperate with him through disobedience, when I cooperate with him by saying it doesn't really matter, because that's what he says, God doesn't really mean what he says. When he tells you you should forgive because he forgives you, he doesn't really mean it. You don't have to do that. No, you can live here. But if you want to live here, here, I just think it's a good idea to do what God says. 
If you want to call that legalism, rock on with your bad self and live here. And you can live here saying, I'm forgiven, that he loves me. He loves me. Hallelujah. Leslie, he loves me. And don't you know, he, he loves you, Karen. You don't have to do what he says to do. He loves you. Live here. Yay. He loves you. And he wants you free. He wants you free. He wants you free. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. And that liberty doesn't mean liberty to do what you want to do. It means liberty to understand that he has saved you, he has redeemed you, he has delivered you. And the same grace that will get you to heaven is the same grace that will empower you to say no. So that you understand that it can be. This is under the cross. It has nothing to do with you anyway. It's you understanding and coming up under all that was accomplished on the cross of Calvary. That now, <laughs> that little bugger who has distorted the image of God in me, I can, as I start to obey, as I start to say God meant what he said and it wasn't to, to, to shortcut me, it wasn't to keep me from being happy, God truly knows what's best. And if God's ways are best, I want to do them because I want to get to this right here, how it can be. Victory. And that means that every time I say I'm not going to live as it is, I'm not going to say I have an excuse for being angry, that I have an excuse for being bitter, that I have an excuse to not forgive. That means I want to stay here. But when I say I'm going to forgive, I was done dirty, I was hurt deeply. It's not how it ought to be. I got ripped off royally. But I'm not living here. I'm really kind of sick of how it is. I don't want to be bitter anymore. I don't want to be angry anymore. I don't want to walk in self-pity anymore. I don't want to live addicted anymore. I don't want to live uh, having uh, sexual immorality flowing out of my life like a fountain. I don't want to live how it is because of this fall right here. He is not going to distort the image of God in me any longer. I'm going to represent. And in order to do that... I have to do what Adam and Eve didn't do so well. I have to believe that God's ways are best. And that when he tells me not to do something, it's for my best. Not because he's this, but because it really is the best way. And so now, when I, when now, it's not the way it ought to be. I got hurt really bad. Somebody did me dirty because of this fall right here because of sin, because you can be sure that offenses will come. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get done dirty. You're going to do something bad. That's the way it is. Will we stay stuck here? With the image of God distorted in our life. But every step we take towards the Word of God, towards doing what God says to do, some of that distortion begins to fall off. And we begin to look more and more and more like him. And we start getting victory. You see, because forgiveness doesn't have anything to do with the person who hurt you. Forgiveness has everything to do with getting the enemy back and saying, I will not let you distort the image of God in me one more minute. 
kindness and not being angry and nasty has nothing to do with, with, with the way you were raised and what you saw modeled in your home. It has everything to do with you saying, I'm not perpetuating that cycle any longer. I am starting to shed that stuff piece by piece by piece so I can come more to this place of victory, how it can be in my life. Sexual immorality, let's talk about that one. I don't have to look at pornography. I guess I can, and it can be how it is. I don't have to have an affair to make myself feel valued and, and affirmed and noticed. I, I don't have to do those things because I guess I can, but I can stay here. Or I can shed those things and start finding my identity in Christ and finding what I need in Christ and getting affirmed by Him and getting attention by Him, and I can begin to live in victory over sexual immorality because... I can because of the cross of Calvary. Addiction. The fall right here, <laughs> I got ripped off. And I grew up in a lot of pain and heartache, and I got done dirty. Maybe I was sexually molested. Maybe, maybe I was abused. Maybe I was neglected. And now, that's how it is. And I'm full of pain, and I'm full of heartache. And I, I just, I can't sleep at night. And, and the memory of everything I've been through just haunts me. And I think I'll just get drunk as a skunk or high as a kite. And then I can live in the is. This is how it is. I can't help it. I can't change anything. And the image of God gets marred because... You ever been around somebody drunk as a skunk? It's not a pretty sight. And the image of God is marred. But the image is still in them. And so I can say, I, I have to, it's how it is. It's an addiction. I have to, it's how it is. Or I can say, Lord, I thank you that you're a bondage breaker. I thank you that you came to set the captive free, that you came to release the prisoner from darkness. I'm putting my trust in you. I'm putting my hope in you. I'm not going to be conformed to the image of this world. I'm going to let you transform me, Lord, and find out it can be different in my life. Are you with me? He's after the image of God in us. Do you, do you know that? We are called to be image bearers. When we just go from is to will be, what happens is it emphasizes our sin and our powerlessness. I'm stuck here, but I can tell you what, well, when we start understanding that we are image bearers, our worth goes up incredibly, does it not? When we understand that we carry within us the very image of God, oh my goodness, he dwells within us. He, that never changes. He is always there. It's just the image that gets marred, the image that gets blurred. We were made in his image, and the Bible says that we were designed to rule. Right here, we were still designed to rule. We were still designed to have dominion. Do you understand? Let them rule over all the earth, it says. Do you understand what's inside of you? Do you understand the power of God that lives inside of each one of us, designed to rule, designed to give us authority and power? And the Bible says, oh, the Bible says that, there, that we have been given power and authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all, not some, all, all Kels all the power of the enemy. Do you understand that? That is inside of you as an image bearer. And we have got to start rising up, church, and we've got to stop saying, it's not how it ought to be, and I wish it was like that, but this is how it is, and I just have to stay here, and I just have to persevere till I get way over here. 
absent from the body, praise the Lord, I'm going to be present with God and all my pain is going to be gone. What about the cross? What about the cross that he said, it is finished. Reascendent is finished. I don't have to still make myself pay. See, that's some of us here. We're living in the is, paying. I messed up. I blew it. I did things I wish I had never done. I walked away from God. I, I participated in things I wish I hadn't participated in. I'd done some bad things. And now I'm just going to punish myself. I'm just going to punish myself. Do you know what that says? That says that what Christ did on the cross wasn't enough. And when he died on the cross, his last words were, Tetelestai, it meant it is finished, paid in full, reascendet, Danny sendet, Masha sendet, Karen sendet, paid in full. Do, do you understand that? And yet we are still trying to pay. We're still trying to punish ourselves. We're still trying. See, I, I will tell you, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I, I will tell you that, that when I was a young girl, I had an abortion. Now, I know that some of you are, are, are far more spiritual than that, but I will tell you that I lived through that pain, and every single time I see a child, a baby, I think to myself, I just, wanna, I just can't even believe I did something like that, and I punish myself all over again every single time I see a baby. Do you understand that when I do that, when God said, it is finished, reascend that, as horrible as that was, was finished, it was paid in full, the punishment that I deserved, he took upon himself, and so if I I sit here and I wallow in self-pity and defeat over a sin I committed what I say to him God it wasn't enough I can't ever be free from that so I gotta live here that's how it is I'm gonna be defeated I'm gonna live in pain I'm gonna keep paying I'm gonna keep punishing myself and beating myself up because it wasn't enough what you did even though you said it was more than enough. I think about it, it's just coming through my head, so I'm going to say it. I think about the people who cut, who self-injure. That's because this fall right here was so painful. Something happened that was so painful for them, and they're living in the is, punishing themselves and, and cutting on the outside because the outside pain is, hurts for a little bit more than that inside pain that's so incredible. They don't have to feel it for a moment. Can I tell you about how it can be? Oh, it can be. You can be free because he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Do you understand who we serve? Do you understand who lives inside of you? What would happen, church, if we really began to live like this? That every interaction we had, every, every contact we had with somebody, every, every conversation we had, what would happen if we oozed the character of Christ? What would happen if we began to love like he loved? What would happen if every conversation, every, every connection we had, we left an imprint behind for him? What would happen if we really thought about being kind and gentle and patient with everybody we came in contact with? What would happen if we just glowed with the love of Christ? What would happen if we were intentional? If like Cary Grant said, I'm going to learn to play the part until it becomes me.
What would happen if we just said, I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose today to not react and respond in bitterness and unforgiveness and anger. What would happen if you went home to that person who hurt you so greatly that you're still punishing because of it? And you said, I'm going to choose today to stop letting that bugger because it had nothing to do with the person who hurt you. It, can I tell you that that person who hurt you, it was never about flesh and blood. It was about the enemy coming to distort the image of God in you. Because if you're angry and unforgiving, if you're full of bitterness, trust me, it's distorted. So what would happen if you went home tonight and you said, I'm going to choose to put on Christ. I'm going to choose to surrender to what God said, and I'm going to let some of that distortion begin to fall off of me. And I'm going to love that person who hurt me. And I'm going to forgive them even if they don't deserve it. Because I care less about what they deserve than I care about reflecting the image of God in my life. That's more important to me than getting even. That's more important to me than having the last word. That's more important to me than any vengeance I could ever get is reflecting the image of God. Because ultimately, can I just tell you, This is the place of victory. This is the place of life. You see, you have died, and your life, your real life, is hidden with Christ and God. You got to go searching for something that's hidden, don't you? And there's not a whole lot of searching that has to happen here. It's the way it is. Stuck. Stinks. Too bad for me. But when I go searching for my real life, it's here. And I go searching here. Because when Christ, who is my real life, appears, <laughs> I got to find the scripture. This is so good. Guys, you can put down your little signs if your arms are getting heavy. But, but I love this. Lord, there's so much I just have to tell you, but I just, I just got to find it here. I got to just read this. Guys, you can put your signs down. It's okay. Can I just read you Colossians 3? And then we'll let you go. What time is it? Oh, my goodness. Well, you're just going to have to hear it. I'm sorry. You can leave if you want. Isn't this good? It's so good. I'm just telling you. Just get this in your spirit. You don't have to live here. There really is a better place. And Lord, help me just flesh this out because... It's a choice where you live. You can live in defeat or you can live in victory. You can be pitiful or you can be powerful. You can't be both, guys, but ultimately involves a choice. This is a choice. Getting from is to will is a choice. I have to choose Christ. But getting from is to can is a choice as well. I have to choose Christ. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, and you have, not if you have, it, it's since you have. This is a given. If you're a Christian, you've been raised to new life with Christ. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth. For you died when Christ died. 
and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. I need to stop right there and tell you this is the part that I've been meditating on. I would get to that verse all the time. For you have died and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when your real life appears, you will share in all his glory. When your real life is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. And I was like, Lord, what does that mean? I can't get it. I've been reading it for months. I can't get it. I don't understand what that means. When your real life is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. And every commentator I read said, when Jesus comes back and he's revealed, you're going to share in his glory. Well, I wasn't satisfied with that. And so last week I read the scripture that says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Oh, that hurts some people because you don't like that, but that's the reality. If you love him, you'll keep his commandments. That's just what love does. Sorry. And then it says, and he who keeps my commandments, I will make myself manifest to him. Now, if you want to live right here, Yay, stay there. Don't keep his commandments. Just get by. Hallelujah. He loves me. I get to go to heaven. But if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And he who keeps my commandments, I will make myself manifest to him. Do you know what that word manifest means? It means he's going to reveal himself, that he'll manifest himself to you. I don't know about you. See, we run around from conference to conference, and we're like, I, I, want the, I want to see the manifestation of God. I want the glory to be manifested in this place. Lord, I want you to manifest in visions and dreams. And can I tell you how he says he'll make himself manifest to us? If we keep his commandments, he will make himself manifest to us. And so what happens when I read that scripture, and when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. That word revealed there, mm, Lord, I, gotta, I just got to find it for you because it's so good. Lord, help me to find this. That word reveal there means, mm, Lord, to make manifest or visible, to make known what has been hidden or unknown, to make manifest whether by words or deeds, or in any other way, to be plainly recognized. Oh, look at this, guys. When Christ, who is your real life, is made manifest, is recognized, is revealed to the whole world in you, <laughs> when you are back to this, when you start shedding some of that garbage and saying, ain't nothing worth this being clouded, nothing worth this being distorted. I'm going to shed that stuff. I'm going to shed it and so that the Christ, my real life, see, that's where real life is found in shedding those things and letting go of forgiveness and letting go of addictions and letting go of, uh, of bitterness and anger and letting go of self-pity and defeat and letting go of, of despair and hopelessness. You see, that's when real life starts to bubble up. And when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed, made manifest, and everybody can see it by the whole world, then you'll share in his glory. There is nothing better than basking in his glory. Do you, do you understand that? Do you understand that? So good. So listen to this. I'm almost finished. So put to death 
So, so if you want to have him revealed and manifest in you, so put to death the sinful things, earthly things lurking within you. Oh, they're lurking within you. I like that word. I got some sinful things lurking within me. Have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, and shameful desires. Don't be greedy for the good things of this life, for that's idolatry. God's terrible anger will come upon those who do such things. You used to do them when your life was still part of this world. I love how he says that. That's what I do to my kids. I call the treasure out in them. I remind them who they are deep inside, not who I'm seeing them become. And, and Paul's doing this here. You used to be like that when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old nature, your old evil nature, and all its wicked deeds. In its place, you have clothed yourself with a brand new nature that is continually being renewed. I'm continually shedding that stuff and getting a new nature reviewed, it renewed in me as I learn more and more about Christ who created this new nature within me. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, bar barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters. Can I tell you, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you look like on the outside. I don't care if you've been rejected by men. I don't care if you fit into the in-group or you fit in the outside of it. I, I don't care who you are. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care how much education you have or don't have. I don't care how pretty you are, how ugly you are. I don't care how successful you are. I don't care what kind of house you live in. I don't care. Christ is all that matters. And what would happen if we started living that way? Oh, I think this might happen right here. The image of God might be shown, shown us. Since God chose you, do you know that you've been chosen? Come on, who cares who rejects you? Do you know that week after week I stand up here and I, I, I make people think she is a lunatic, she is way off her rocker, I really don't care. Because Christ is all that matters to me. And I know that I have been chosen by God. I really don't care who rejects me. Do you know that God chose you to be holy people? Not this, holy people, whom he loves. Since God chose you to be the holy people whom he loves, you must clothe yourself. Do you know when I get up in the morning, I pick out my clothing. I'm, I, like, I like to dress, and so I'm careful about my clothing. I, I'm careful about what I shop for. Kendall, my sweet Kendall, lays her clothing out at nighttime. She knows what she's going to wear the next day. She doesn't randomly pick an outfit. We need to be careful what we're clothing ourselves with. If we're careful about our fabric that we're wearing on our skin, how much more do we have to be careful what we're clothing ourselves with spiritually? It, what, are, what's, what kind of character we're putting on? And he says, since God chose you to be the holy people whom he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy. Oh, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You must make allowance for each other's faults. Oh, what would happen if we made allowance for other people's faults? What would happen? We might be image bearers. 
You must make allowance for others, other people's faults and forgive the person who offends you. You must, because <laughs> if you want to be an image bearer and you want to be the holy person who God has chosen, you must forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And the most important piece of clothing you must wear is, oh, what Karen does best, love. The most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. Because love binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you were called to live in peace. Oh, church, we are called to live in peace. Can I just tell you how much it grieves me when I hear people backbiting other people? When I see a little group of people whispering, I want to go smack them silly. We were called to live at peace with one another. The next time you hear somebody ripping on somebody, say, dear one, you were called to live at peace with one another. We have to let it start with us. For as members of one body, you were called to live in peace. Always be thankful. Let the words of Christ in all their riches, in all their richness, live in your hearts and make you wise. Use his words to teach and counsel each other. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. All the while, giving thanks through God the Father. That's Colossians 3. Do, do you just love it? Do, do you love it? You see, Colossians 3 starts with, set your minds and keep them set on things above, where your real life, oh, we look for life in so many other sources because we're living here. We don't realize how it can be that our real life is hidden with God in Christ Jesus. That's in doing it his way. It's in staying undercover. It's in, in walking in obedience to his word because that's when life comes. Life doesn't come when I say, Lord, you tell me to forgive, but I am so ticked off and I'm going to stay angry and I'm going to say some mean things and I'm going to get even. Then live here. I've set before you life and death, he says. Choose. Because this is how it can be. So you forgive and you think they don't deserve it, but you don't deserve to live here either. What's more important? When Christ, who is your real life, appears, then you'll share in his glory. I want him to be made manifest in me. I want that more than anything in this world. I want to reflect him wherever I go. I want to represent wherever I go. I want people to say, there is something different about her. It must really work. Can I just tell you, it really works. And sometimes I blow it. A lot of times I blow it because I fall for the distortion. I let him come with his whispers and say, but you deserve to be angry. But you deserve to get vengeance. But you deserve to be pitiful. But you deserve to go have fun. But you deserve to have a better life. 
but you deserve this. Did God really say, he's withholding from you, eat, indulge, live here. I love that in the garden, and you guys can all put your signs down and and take off, but I love that in the garden, God comes and he finds them and he says, he calls them and he says, where are you? Thank you guys. Did they do great or what? Um, In the garden, in the garden, God comes in, they're hiding and they're covered with their fig leaves and he says, where are you? And that always tickles me because I want to say, God, you know exactly where they are. You're the God who knows everything. And they come out and, and he said, did I not tell you that if you ate of that tree, you would surely die? If you disobeyed me, you would surely die. And he notices the fig leaves. And I always wonder, you know the story where he cursed the fig tree and it, he cursed it at its roots and it died? I always wonder. Did he do that because he was thinking about the fig leaves that they tried to cover themselves with? Was it just a reminder of them trying to find covering without him? I don't know, but it's just curious. So God comes in and he sees they tried to cover themselves and there is no better covering than him. That's why we need to abide in the secret place of the Most High God. We need to stay there undercover because it's protection, it's safety. And we've talked about it a million times how that word undercover, under the shadow, it means under the authority of God, underneath his word, obeying his word. And how the rest of Psalm 91 is all about the protection that comes for us when we do that. So God comes in and he says, you know, he realizes they've tried to cover themselves instead of running to him. And that's what sin does. It makes us hide from God instead of running to him. And we try to cover ourselves and to cover our shame. And really he wants to cover us. And so he takes and he covers them, the word of God says, with skins, with animal skins. In other words, he made the sacrifice. There must be blood. Death is going to come. You disobeyed me. Death is going to come. And and so he said, okay, I won't take your life because I mean what I say. Death has to come. And so I'm going to take this animal over here and it's going to be a substitute and I'll cover you with the skin. Your covering will be that sacrifice is covering your sin now. And you know the picture, it's a picture of Christ and how the covering of the blood of Jesus because of our sin, that we don't have to hide anymore, that, that the image of, of God can be restored in us because of what Christ did to the cross of Calvary. Will it ever be perfect? Nope, never, not till we get to the will, not till we get to heaven will we ever perfectly display the image of God. But I'm telling you, we can come a whole lot closer than, than what we're doing right now. One thing that I want you to just, um, oh, there's so much that I just so want to go over that, that, um, that's Colossians 3 with you, but one of the last things that I just, I want you to see is that the scripture says, if you um, confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. What does Lord mean? Master. The one, the owner the one whose word you need to obey. That's what Lord and Master is. And we forget he's Lord. 
See, we want to call him Savior, but do you know that the Word of God, I can't remember, it's only, it's not very many times. Leslie, can you look that up in the uh, Bible Gateway? Just find out how many times Savior is mentioned and how many times Lord is mentioned. I want to say it's something like 75 times Savior is mentioned, but like 7,000 times Lord is mentioned in the New Testament. What does that tell you? And yet we, we know Jesus as Savior, but he wants us to know him as Lord. So the word says, if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe where? In your heart, you shall be saved, delivered, set free, rescued, prosper, be made whole. That's what that word means. So where are you believing? In your heart. Where do you think most of the distortion of the enemy comes? What did I tell you heart means? Your mind, your will, your emotions, your appetites. And I don't mean for cheeseburgers, although I might have one on my way home tonight. But I mean your sensual appetites. I got to have this. I'm lusting after that. I want to indulge in this. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, your mind, your will, your emotions come under his lordship, come under his cover, come under his shadow. You shall be saved, delivered, set free, prosperous, whole, rescued. Is that good or what? We can't just say we believe Jesus is Lord with our mouth. Confess with your mouth and believe in your... Right here, baby, is where the battlefield is. Right here, right here, right here. I got to have his lordship touch this right up here. I got to have his lordship touch my appetites. I got to have his lord touch my emotions because they're really stinky sometimes. I got to let his lordship affect me besides just coming out of my mouth. Because that takes me from is to can. See it? Oh, that's, I'm just telling you, I'm going to get this CD all myself because I just love it. I just think that's such good stuff, is it not? That's good stuff. So, Father, we thank you for your good stuff. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the good news. That's good news that I don't have to live as in the is, that I can live in the can, and that's the good news. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we thank you for that. And, Father, I pray that this word would burn in us. Lord, I pray that the truth, your truth, Lord, the truth of the gospel would just penetrate our hearts and our minds, our wills, our emotions, our appetites, Lord God, and that it would change us this week and that we would change that we would behold as in a mirror, oh Lord God, that we would open up your word and that we would behold the truth, that we would behold the image of God in your word and that we would be changed, Lord God, from glory to glory to glory and that we would look more and more like you every single day of our life, we pray. Oh Lord God, create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. Help us to represent well this week, Lord. Help us to be image bearers and begin to shed the distortions and the poison that the enemy has tried to deposit in us to distort that image, Lord. And bring yourself glory and honor and praise in our lives, Lord, we pray. Thank you for the grace that not only saved us, Lord, but that keeps us and that empowers us, Lord, to walk out the walk you've placed before us. We love you. 
And we give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both encouraged and challenged to go deeper and grow stronger in your walk with Christ.